Hello and welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow and we're going to be here listening to April of 1991 today. I'm joined by special guest Kathy Foster. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Kathy, I think you're most well known for being a member of the Thermals. Yes. Can I describe them as legendary Portland pop punk band sure, at this point? Not? Yeah. <laughs> And you're in a whole bunch of other bands as well. Yeah, it's tapering down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. But you've been part of the All Girls Summer Fun Band. Yeah. And Hurry Up. Yes. And Rose Blood. Yeah. And then I'm also playing this band called Slang with Janet Weiss and Drew Grow. And it's kind of their songwriting project. Do you want to talk about how you got into music? Sure. It was about the fall of my junior year of high school. I had changed schools. I went to a private Catholic school for freshman, sophomore year, and wanted to get out of there, and uh, <laughs> went to this, it was like an alternative high school called Middle College, so it was connected to the public high school system, but it was located on a community college campus, Okay. so I made like this whole new group of friends, and just started getting into like more underground music uh-huh. through that group. Yeah. And then when I went to middle college and saw this band, Drippy Drawers, that made it really like, I could do this. Uh-huh. Like it just, because they're having fun and they're just writing songs about dumb stuff and yeah. like making each other laugh. And that was probably the first time that it seemed attainable. And like a couple months later, I like got a drum kit okay. and I convinced my two best friends at the time to like each play guitar and bass. Did they know how to play? Or? No, none okay. of us knew okay. how to play. We practiced for about a year before we played a show because at the time I was getting really into a lot of riot girl Mm -hmm. bands I mean there are definitely a lot of talented awesome musicians but also part of that was like you don't have to be good to play in a band yeah so when pistol started playing I didn't want to do that I'm like I know I want us to be good before we play a show I don't want to just be like not knowing what we're doing what kind of music? It was kind of a little heavy, kind of a little twee, which is kind of the styles that I liked because okay. I liked the softies uh-huh. and Tiger Trap yeah, and Heavenly. Then I also liked Sleep and just like Green Day. And so we kind of combined all our interests. But yeah, it was like sweet slash heavy pop. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That sounds sounds fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Was there some point where you said like, this is what I want to be doing my whole life or did it just kind of... No. It just... Got bigger and... Yeah. I never really had like any long-term plans for myself. Was there something that drew you to Portland rather than like Olympia or Seattle? I think just the fact that we knew like three people here Mm. (laughs) so they could help us land. Yeah. Yeah, when we got here the first day, we just like went to one of our friends' houses, and then right away we just started playing. There's a all ages club called Seventy Nautical Miles at the time, and my friend Chris, who lives here, is the person that we first stayed with. He was the drummer in Drippy Drawers, okay. <laughs> the band that I first saw in California, and his girlfriend at the time. They're married now, Kim. We just hit it off right away, and then she's the one that put together All Girls Summer Fun Band. Nice. So yeah, we were just playing music the whole time, and then I was working at Betty Rides, and then Thermals formed in 2002, and then the more that we toured, I just kind of like weaned myself <laughs> away from working. Yeah. Um, so were the Thermals successful enough that you didn't have to work during that period? So we formed in 2002, 
And then I officially quit Betty Rides in like 2007. And then pretty much just toured for a living until like 2015, where we were like kind of getting burnt out. And then I'm like, sure, I don't want to tour as much. I should find a job. <laughs> I was just going to say, is that like going back to work after being a stay-at-home mom for a decade or something? <laughs> is it is it challenging? To- it's weird, yeah. It just, yeah, it feels like a huge like life shift. Because it's like coming to terms with a lot of different things. Like the last two or three albums, we'd be like, maybe this is the last album. <laughs> and yeah. then we'd yeah. tour and then like, then we'd start writing new stuff and be like, this is fun. <laughs> sure. And then end up like making another album. Yeah. It always looked like fun. The, yeah. the music videos that the thermals make are just a real joy to watch. Thanks. It, yeah, yeah. We always had a lot of fun making videos. But yeah, it feels weird to have gone through this whole long lifespan of a band starting out small and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then kind of weaning off that and then to start something new you're like do I want to go through that whole thing again do it is that what I'm going after which I don't think I am I just want to write songs and put music out but it's also intimidating to like start over yeah maybe we should talk about some music from 1991 yeah do that so April 1991 the number one song for the whole month is R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. Oh. That's a song we listened to last episode. Mm-hmm. So it continues its eight-week run at the top. Uh-huh. Huge modern rock hit. huge. I remember like the video seemed to be on nonstop on MTV. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have to look at a few songs a little lower down on the charts. We're going to be first listening to a band called Material Issue. They're from Chicago and they formed in 1985. Oh. In 1991, they released their debut album, which is called International Pop Overthrow. And it was recorded over the course of about three years between 88 and 91 for a total cost of about $5,000. That makes me feel better about how slow I'm going with rose blood. Sure. (laughs) It was also notably produced by Jeff Murphy, who is from the power pop band Shoes. Hmm, I don't know them. Yeah, they're not super well known, but if you are a power pop fanatic like into the kind of like the late 70s early 80s kind of era of american Mm -hmm. power pop shoes is a really good band they're definitely worth checking out cool i should also mention that there is an international pop overthrow festival they have shows around the world they've played in portland before and um, the festival the festival yeah but the festival itself was named after this band oh wow issue yeah crazy All right, so we're going to be listening to a song called Valerie Loves Me. It was written by singer-guitarist Jim Ellison, and it is about a neighbor girl that Ellison had a crush on when he was 11 years old. Here it is, Valerie Loves Me. I could only hope for a stolen moment of her thoughts between the walking club and all the drinks she'll have in a crowded room where everybody leaves too soon. He said he has a crush on her. That's what I read. But um, it's just funny that it's Valerie loves me. Yeah. The way he says it, he sounds kind of desperate. Yeah. <laughs> like he's trying or to deranged. convince himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this song definitely takes me back to that time. I think it's the type of song that I would have recorded off the radio. Because I had like mixtapes made from songs recorded off the radio. Of just course. songs that I liked at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't remember specifically recording the song, but it's it's in line with like a lot of other bands that I liked at the time. Like it was reminding me of Jellyfish mm-hmm. and The Laws. Yes. And yeah. uh a little bit of just space the name. Gone Daddy Gone. Violent Femmes. Violent Femmes. Mm-hmm. Spin Doctors too. Yeah, I mean, I like the song fine. I think it's got some jangly guitars coming in. And yeah. It's catchy that, enough. Yeah, it's pretty catchy. The chorus is very brief and less melodic. <laughs> Just kind of a shout. But yeah. um, that's, you know, but it definitely that. that it's catchy. Like it sticks in your head. And that clean guitar is reminiscent of the 90s too. Yeah. And I, I read somewhere that the song's guitar hook was inspired by David Bowie's song, John, I'm Only Dancing. Oh, yeah. I guess I should also mention that this is 1991, you know, uh, Seattle was just starting to get some pretty big attention, Mm -hmm. but Chicago had a pretty decent scene too. And there were a number of bands that came out of that scene besides Material Issue. So Smashing Pumpkins and Uh, Urge Overkill and Liz Fair, they're all from Chicago or the general Chicago area. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Material Issue, they are no longer a band because unfortunately Jim Ellison committed suicide in 1996 by carbon monoxide poisoning. Was he the singer? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. He was a principal singer, songwriter Mm -hmm. for the band. Yeah, gosh, I just feel like it just really seems like way too many musicians commit suicide. Yeah, it's a lot, yeah. It really should make people think a little bit about how we treat musicians and Mm -hmm. what kind of services we provide for them, which the answer is generally none. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy like how important music is Mm -hmm. in our lives and in our culture and how poorly musicians are treated. Yeah. Especially nowadays, like you just expect to get music for free. Mm -hmm. Like you don't care about the livelihood of the people whose music you're listening to. Thermals toured in Europe many, many times. And it just seems like there's more of a cultural monetary support for music. Because there's a lot of venues that are like subsidized Mm -hmm. by government programs and stuff. What does that mean? Just that there's more venues that exist because they're subsidized or are those venues able to like provide more payment for traveling artists or yeah so you just they're able to like pay you a decent amount and like put you up somewhere mm-hmm. and it's just a cultural thing like a lot of venues like they just make you dinner okay. or they provide dinner or they have some sort of communal yeah wow. dinner overall just felt more respected as a musician in europe yeah just because of how they look at it and how they view it as a part of culture yeah and then i would compare it to like touring here and you're just like putting people out you're like sorry we're playing music tonight Uh (laughs) yeah i mean there are a lot of nice people that work at venues but also there's a lot of people that are just like treat you like shit you know sure yeah all right we're gonna be looking at our second band today this is a band called throwing muses they were formed in Newport, Rhode Island in either 1981 or 1983. I've read conflicting numbers there. Mm-hmm. The core of the band are two stepsisters, Kristen Hirsch and Tanya Donnelly, and they formed the band when they were still in high school. Initially, Hirsch and Donnelly both wrote songs and sang, although Kristen Hirsch was like the primary leader of the band. She did most of the singing and most of the songwriting. Yeah. Kristen Hirsch, she released a book called Rat Girl, 
which mm-hmm. is definitely worth reading. And cool. it's, it's basically a, a biography of one year of her life mm-hmm. when she's about 18. And it's based on her diary that she kept at the time. Oh, cool. Basically, the story it tells is that when she was, I think, 16, she was the victim of a hit and run accident wow. while she was riding her bike and she suffered a serious head injury. And when she came to in the hospital, she was hearing music in her head. Whoa. And she was very confused by it at first and eventually realized no one else was hearing this. It was just her. Whoa, it's kind that's of like crazy. turning ambient sounds into music. That's amazing. And she would use those as her songs basically the songs were writing themselves and as as you can imagine like they were not totally typical songs so they Mm -hmm. came out kind of strange and yeah uh, tempo shifts all over the place yeah she has kind of like a discordant sound sometimes yeah she was also diagnosed as being bipolar or with manic depressive disorder or something like that Mm -hmm. and she didn't realize that for a while and so she would refer to the dark side of her personality as bad Kristen or rat girl. Wow. Hence the name of the, uh-huh. the book. But they got signed to a record label pretty young. I think they still might have been 18 or 19. Wow. And they were the first American band to uh-huh. sign with 4AD. And their first album was actually pretty astounding, but it's also not available in the U.S. Oh, really? Yeah, it was released in the U.K. It came out in 1986, I think. It's just a really fascinating album. It's definitely worth a listen. It's worth tracking down. Eventually, it was released as kind of a two-disc compilation over here called In the Doghouse or something like that. Uh-huh. But that's out of print now, too. Weird. So you can't even listen to it on Spotify. I wonder if you can get it through her. Because I think she was part of the catalyst of Cash Music starting up, which is a nonprofit that my friend and bandmate Maggie Vale was has been a huge part of jesse von doom started it for creating open source tools focused towards musicians Mm -hmm. so they can have access to like for their websites like a shopping cart mailing list different things like that they wanted them to be available for free but i think Kristen hirsch she wanted to start the first patreon type thing yes yeah, so on, on her website, kristenhirsch.com, you can support her financially through a program she calls Strange Angels. It seems like a really cool thing. I mean, it's basically put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. If you say you love this band and want to support them, then the only way we're going to get to record a new album is if we have some funding to do that. Yeah. And it's working. <laughs> she's you know she's still able to make music she's still able to do this professionally that's really awesome and one of the extra cool things about it if you donate five hundred dollars we'll get you your name in her liner notes but it'll also get you an in-studio meeting with Kristen hirsch wow so it's pretty great like there's not too many artists who are just like five hundred dollars like not only is that actually helping to make my album but yeah. come down and meet me yeah yeah So in 1991, Throwing Muses was releasing their fourth studio album. It's called The Real Ramona. This is a very good album. It's their first album not to feature bassist Leslie Langston. And it's also their last to feature Tanya Donnelly, who had already released an album with The Breeders. And she would soon form Belly. And the first single off of this album was called Counting Backward. And it is the only song to chart from the album. So that's what we're going to hear. It hit number 11 on the modern rock charts. Here it is. Don't remember. 
Yeah, I definitely remember that one. Yeah. It's catchy. Yeah, it is catchy. I didn't hear that till a few years after this, and I only heard it like once or twice on the radio. And mm-hmm. I guess I remember, like I lumped it in with a, all the other grunge songs I was hearing. It kind of uh-huh. got lost in the mix for me. So I, I thought of them as like kind of a one-hit wonder. And it's fascinating to look back and go like, oh, they actually predated almost all of those grunge bands. Yeah. And, you know, they're more contemporaries of like pixies that's what i was thinking yeah Yeah. pixies breeders i don't know what that genre is yeah (laughs) pre-grunge yeah maybe but it makes them feel more important than i I guess i gave them credit for Uh like i don't know how many bands they actually were influencing but i can imagine quite a few yeah i mean they had definitely have a distinct sound Mm -hmm. there's like a darker sound to like the instruments and her voice. Mm-hmm. It does feel a little dark. I have no idea what the song's about. I've looked at the lyrics. I don't know. I was going to ask you if yeah. you knew what it was about. No, no clue. <laughs> so I guess I should mention that at some point, Kristen Hirsch went through a bunch of intensive therapy and did something about integrating her personalities. I'm not wow. really sure about the technical terms there, but that's what I read. And supposedly, part of the result of that is that she no longer hears music in her head, at least Whoa. not the way she used to, which I can't imagine. That must be very strange. Uh, what a fascinating person. Yeah, and can she still write music? I mean, I, I suppose she still does, but yeah. what do you do when like music has just come to you for most of your life and then suddenly the music stops? I mean, that's a lot of like mental and emotional work, it sounds like. Yeah. And then maybe... After time, you start hearing music or coming up with music in a different way. I'm sure. I and mean, she has enough experience with music at this yeah. point, writing songs. She's yeah. been doing it for so long. Yeah. The next band we're going to listen to is called Lush. They were formed in England in 1987. They're led by Mickey Brengi and Emma Anderson. And they were early on considered a band in the shoegaze scene. Mm-hmm. They were initially called Baby Gaze after a line from a Susie and the Banshees song. <laughs> yeah, if you listen to the earliest stuff, it's all about loud, swirling guitars with a lot of effects, and mm-hmm. the vocals are kind of buried in the mix. Yeah, and, ethereal. Uh, yeah, but Mickey has been totally upfront about this. Like, the reason they were doing that is to hide their insecurity. <laughs> she mm-hmm. basically said, like, if you turn on the effects and swirl your guitars and yeah. bury your vocals, you can get away with a lot. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people that bury their vocals sure because it was called shoe gaze because you're gazing at your shoes Uh so it kind of insinuates like these are shy people yes not the most confident they're not they want to be surrounded by loud music not be the main feature of the band yeah so lush kicked off their career with a whole string of uk only eps Uh, the first three of which were finally released in the U.S. at the end of 1990 on a compilation called Gala Deluxe Mm -hmm. was released as a single in the U.S. and it reached number 14 on the U.S. charts. I remember having this CD. So you were listening to Lush? Yeah, I was definitely a big fan of Lush. I saw them play a couple times. They were at one of the first two Lollapaloozas, Mm -hmm. but on like a small stage. Yeah. And then I saw them play at Slim's in San Francisco. Emma threw a tantrum and like threw her guitar down. Really? I think she was kind of known for that. How on shoegaze of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love them. They were super good. 
Is there something in particular that drew you to them? I was just getting into that sound overall at that time, like My Bloody Valentine, Swerve Driver. I really like heavy sounds. Okay. And I like the combination of kind of like pretty singing. Sure. Yeah, well, let's listen to it. We're going to listen to Deluxe, and then we'll talk a little more about what we thought. Cool. Here it is. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> There's something like tough about it too. Mm-hmm. I was just remembering like my friends and I just thought they were so cool. Like, I mean, especially being a girl and influenced by other girl musicians. Um, they were just so cool and they had a cool style. Like Mickey, was that her name? Yeah. She would always have like different color dyed hair mm-hmm. and they had like a punk kind of style about them like the way they dress yeah i think that song does a really nice job of balancing you know the swirly shoegazy sound with some kind of pop sensibility yeah uh it still has some some hook to it and it like there's something there you could sing along to sort of or like yeah you know at least hum along to it or get connected to and i i think there's a lot of shoegaze bands where the vocals are so secondary that you could almost remove them and barely change the song. Right. Yeah, the vocals are definitely part of the melody of the song. Like, I wasn't totally paying attention to what she was saying. Right. But I really like the melody of her voice and the sound of her voice. Yeah. There's something about the timing of how she sings. I guess it's a verse. I don't know. But it's kind of like dragging you into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like pulling you along with the song. Yeah. I like that. So Lush's proper debut album didn't come out until 1992. Mm -hmm. By 1996, they had largely given up the shoegaze sound in exchange for more of like a melodic Britpop sound. Mm -hmm. Although they did not like being lumped into the Britpop scene, which they consider to be what I've heard Mickey describe as very laddish, lad culture. Um, Sausage party. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it did seem really male-dominated. Yeah, it was quite a boys' club, from what I understand. In 1996, the band split up because Lush's drummer, Chris Ackland, committed suicide. No. Yep. The band briefly reformed, released an EP, and then broke up again between 2015 and 2016. Oh, wow. So they did make a brief comeback, and then they ended it again. One other thing I, I think I should mention... The modern rock charts tend to be very, very white. And mm-hmm. so I, it's, I think it's worth mentioning when there's people of color who show up and are yeah. making music. So Mickey is half Japanese and half Hungarian. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. That makes yeah. her one of the very few Asians who show up on the modern rock charts. For sure. It would be cool if there were more. Definitely. So, all right, we got one more band. Here cool. we go. The final band we're going to look at is Dinosaur Jr., This band was formed in 1984 in Massachusetts. They were originally called Dinosaur. And after they released their second album, You're Living All Over Me, they got sued by another band called Dinosaur, which was kind of a super group of old dudes 
Um, <laughs> his, Fitting. Yeah, it was like uh, some people from Country Joe and the Fish and Quicksilver Messenger Service and Jefferson Airplane and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so they just stuck a junior on it. I like that. And that solved the problem, which mm-hmm. is pretty great. This was a three-piece for quite a while. It was originally Jay Maskus, Lou Barlow, and Murph. And that was the band until 1989 when Maskus kicked Barlow out of the band. So much drama. There's a lot of drama, yeah. And this is a really interesting story, and I could go into it in a lot of depth, but I would really suggest people go read it on their own. There's a yeah. pretty good account of it in the book, This Band Could Be Your Life. So I read that book. Yeah, so that's definitely worth reading. But Lou Barlow, when he was kicked out, he started doing more work with his solo project, Sebado. He notably wrote a scathing song <laughs> about Jay Maskus and how horrible he is. Didn't you write multiple songs? Well, multiple songs, yes, multiple songs. <laughs> but which one is that? Free the Pig? Free Pig, Free yeah. Pig, yeah. I was talking to someone really recently about seeing them they're like yeah i was hoping they'd play the freed pig i'm like i don't think they would play that you know what i but i think jay maskus probably thinks it's funny i would i would assume so jay maskus is an interesting dude and um from the interviews i've seen and what i've read i feel like he doesn't interact with humans on the same level that most humans yes, do i'd agree with that yeah i think he he probably just thought it was sort of funny and was yeah. like what cool like wow who i didn't know like whatever yeah yeah that kind of thing um, I love the sense of humor he portrays. I, mean, I don't know him personally, but Dinosaur Jr. has been like a huge band in my life. Yeah. I'm like a huge fan. And I listened to them so, so much. When my high school boyfriend and I broke up, like I was just listening to Dinosaur Jr. every day. Like, it was just, <laughs> I just love his like whiny lyrics. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can really identify with them as a young adult. Uh huh. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, listening to Lush and just thinking about Dinosaur Jr., I'm like, I guess I am a pretty emo person. <laughs> like, not in any commercial sense of the word or like right. <laughs> what it's become, but just identifying with a lot of like dark emotional lyrics, like about love and heartache mm-hmm. paired with heavy music. Yeah. I really like that combination. Okay. Yeah, I just really love his lyrics and like how you can feel there's like a lot of heartache but a lot of humor Mm -hmm. him and kurt cobain were like the people that turned me on to guitar solos like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't i wasn't into guitar solos before listening to those bands yeah so jay mascus and murph they continued dinosaur jr as a two-piece for their major label debut album green mind and there was just two of them just two of them jay played bass well it was almost just one of them. It was, it was pretty much a Jay Maskus solo Because he plays endeavor. drums too, and he's a really good drummer. He does. And I've read that he learned drums before he learned guitar, and he's claimed that he's a better drummer than a guitarist, which is hard to believe because he's known for being a really, really astounding yeah. guitarist. Yeah. But Jay Maskus did just about everything on this album himself, including most of the drumming. Mm-hmm. Murph only ended up drumming on three of the songs. Oh, okay. And Jay Maskus notably would write the drum parts, like note for note. I heard that about him. For Murph. <laughs> so uh, on these three songs that Murph showed up on, Jay Maskus is like, yeah, I specifically wrote drum parts that Murph could play. Yeah. Which, I don't know, it seems kind of condescending. It does. Like, it's not like Murph is a poor drummer. Yeah, he's an awesome drummer. But one of the songs he made it onto is the song we're going to hear today, which is called The Wagon. So we do get to hear at least 
two thirds of Dinosaur Jr. on this one. <laughs> this song was partially inspired by the station wagons that Jay Maskus and Lou Barlow, or their parents owned and drove them around in as kids and which they used to lug their equipment to at early gigs. When you listen to the song and look at the lyrics, it's not particularly about station wagons mm-hmm. necessarily, but here it is, The Wagon. Dinosaur drumming is one of my main influences, I think, as a drummer. Oh, really? Yeah, I played along to records and just air drummed in the car so many times. <laughs> nice. I just love the drumming of Dinosaur Jr. Does it feel weird knowing that you were drumming along to someone's drums who were <laughs> dictated to them by a different band member? <laughs> Mm, no. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool song. I feel like when I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, wait, was that the chorus? No, this part's the chorus. Oh. No, is this? No, there's another part after this. <laughs> and it just like kind of goes from one section to the next section yeah, to the next section. It's so good. And it's more than half the song before it gets back to kind of restarting the first verse melody again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So here's something that kind of saddened me. The final Dinosaur Jr. performance ever before they broke up in 1997 was an appearance on the Jenny Jones show. What? Do you remember Jenny Jones? Yeah. They performed the song Out There, and I watched the video, and it was it made me feel pretty morose. (laughs) 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 Because there's this band, they've been around for quite a while. They were really one of the first bands of this style that were pushing things in a new direction. They're kind of building a following. They finally had some kind of success with Feel the Pain, mm-hmm. um, whenever that was, 94 maybe. It seemed like things were going really well for them. And then just all of a sudden, things changed. It's 97, yeah. and the best they've got is a Jenny Jones performance. And it was something to watch. Like, Jenny Jones, she wraps up her show. She's like, and here we go, Dinosaur Jr. And they're just kind of shoved off on the side of the That's stage. Weird. Like, the drummer is hidden behind their amps. None of the band members are looking at each other. They all look, like, really gloomy and down. Yeah. And they go into uh, Out There, and they go into a solo, and the solo just keeps on going. It keeps on going. <laughs> and you could feel the tension in the cameraman or whatever. And then eventually the, the credits start to roll, and oh he's God. still soloing. That's awesome. And then I'm like, is the solo going to end? Like, That's so Jay Maskus. To the, to the chorus or something? And no, just like, <laughs> at some point, abruptly, the show just cuts off mid-solo. <laughs> Because uh, they ran out of time, and that was it. And Dinosaur Jr. was no more. I mean, that's pretty badass. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you can find that on YouTube. It's worth checking out. But uh, after ten years apart, the band did reunite in 2007. And as far as I know, they're still together. Yeah, I did manage to see them at least once since they got back together. And their most recent album was in 2016, called "Give a Glimpse of What You're Not." And a final postscript here. I thought this was really cool. In 2019, Dinosaur Jr. charted pretty high up, number 18 on Japan's Billboard charts. Cool. With the song Over Your Shoulder from their 1994 album Without a Sound. What? Totally out of the blue. (laughs) It's a really old song of theirs. 
uh, gets him a top 20 hit in Japan. Weird. I wonder if it was like in something, yeah, like a I, movie or I TV think it, show. It was used on the Japanese TV show Gachinko Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's probably why it shot up on the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Thermals played the same festival as them. I think it was Sled Island in Calgary. Okay. Within the last 10 years, I think. Okay. And they sounded awesome. Do they sound extremely loud? Because that's what I remember. Yeah. That's one of the things I think is hilarious is just like the wall of Fender Twins. Yeah. I remember seeing them in the 90s at the Warfield in San Francisco. And they just had this wall of amps uh-huh. that they couldn't have all been used. Right. Just stage setting or whatever. And then they had plants. Okay. To me, it's just really funny. He's just being funny. Yeah. And then when I saw them at Sled Island, he did have a bunch of amps. But what I thought was funny is that he had a Fender Twin at head level facing him. Uh-huh. So it was like his guitar monitor, or maybe he's using one of the amps as kind of a monitor. Yeah. But it was just hilarious to me that he just had this Fender Twin like in his face. Yeah. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he's deaf at this point and he has to like monitor through vibrations or something. Rather I don't than, know. Yeah. Hmm. He cracks me up. Yeah. And then we also played, I think it was the Sasquatch Music Festival, that he played solo on a small stage. And that was awesome because he was playing electric guitar and it was just like, it felt like we were watching him in his bedroom or something. Uh-huh. Like he just seemed totally unaware of an audience. <laughs> there'd be like weird feedback he'd be like messing around with his effects pedals and yeah just felt like we were like flies on a wall in Uh his bedroom (laughs) yeah it's one of my favorite artists cool yeah well let's wrap things up then if there's any listeners who want to hear more of your music is there a good place for them to go you can hear the thermals streaming or you could buy our records through sub pop kill rock stars or saddle creek my solo band, Roseblood, I just have one song out called Black Veil. So you can hear the song on Spotify. You can buy the song directly from me at rosebloodband.com. Okay. Slang has a couple songs that you can check out on YouTube. Hurry up. We have a website. So you can buy our record. It's through Cash Music. So I think it's hurryup.cashmusic.org. And uh, I think that's about it for now. Okay, great. If anyone wants to contact me with questions or comments, you can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much, Kathy, for coming in and helping out. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Yeah. This was April 1991. Catch you next time in May. <laughs>